Snake Speedway in the Utah desert. I pick up my money, head back into town, driving across the Waynesburg County line. I got the radio on, but I'm just killing time, working all day in my daddy's garage, driving all night chasing some mirage. Pretty soon, darling, I'm Take this moment into my hands. Mister, I ain't a boy, no, I'm a man. And I believe in the promise of land. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I'm your host, Jesse Jackson. And joining me in this episode is one of my partners in my other podcast, um, How Many. So, Scott, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jesse. Good to have or good good to be here. I'm glad that you're having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. Um, you know, Scott is a recent uh, addition to uh, the How Many podcast, um, but he's been a longtime um, you know, contributor on a lot of the uh, ticket fan pages I'm part of, and he's been friends with uh, my other co-hosts, Junior and Bob, for a long time, and I've just gotten to know Scott and really liked him, and he... Hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, and you know, Scott, um, for those of you who don't know, How Many is a podcast that really is just an excuse for four guys to get together and uh, BS. Uh, talk know. about stuff. Yeah, just talk <laughs> about stuff. We pick a topic and we just talk about it, and it's it's just uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, so we were a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about uh, Tom Petty passing away, and Scott started telling um, stories about standing in line for a Bruce Springsteen concert. <laughs> and uh, yes. uh, Scott used to also help manage a sound warehouse and for those of you who don't remember that's where you used to go to buy music yes. <laughs> versus downloading it online <laughs> and, you actually walk into a store and select it yeah. yeah so um i said hold up hold up i'm gonna save this for um and i think i was unkind it said my real podcast um <laughs> mostly just to give junior and bob a hard time uh, so, um, I'm just thrilled you're doing this and I'm looking forward to visiting. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? All right. Well, let's see. Uh, you know, I'm your basic, uh, 50 something year old man. Um, you know, uh, I grew up down here in, in North Texas, uh, you know, the Dallas Fort Worth area where I've basically lived my whole life. Um, you know, uh, went to school here, uh, college, the whole bit. Um, you mentioned that I, I worked at sound warehouse. Yes. I, I managed a sound warehouse stores from about 84 to 91 here in, uh, uh, the Hearst Irving and Arlington areas. My, my last store that I ran actually, um, is now gone because Jerry world is now sitting <laughs> in the parking lot is sitting where my old store used to be. Um, and I went from there and I, I got a gig with uh, universal music. And I did sales and marketing with them for about seven or eight years till about 98, 99, right in there. Um, and, you know, I, I got to deal with all kinds of music then. And, uh, you know, and growing up, you know, got uh, influenced by all different kinds of things, you know. So uh, had all that music playing in the, in the house and in the, the places that I hung out. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, one of the things we talked about, and we're going to get into this, is you know, you still have a, um, an album collection, correct? Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, and, um, you know, that's an LP actually. Yes. Yeah. An LP. LP yes. You know, I, I, I think about, you know, the, the heyday of, um, going into, uh, music land was what we had in Lake uh, Charles, yes. Louisiana in the mall. And there'd just be all these, you know, 
eight tracks and albums and, and you'd go in there and trying to look and see for something right. new. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not doing, um, you know, good old day syndrome, but it is a little sad that, I mean, if you think about, you know, blockbusters going away, um, you know, that ritual of going on, you know, a, a, either a weekend night or a weeknight and getting a movie to watch or, oh, gosh. you know, and, and now then, you know, and also going to see, cause you may not know what the new albums were coming out unless you got to be <laughs> exactly. friends. Yeah. And so the interesting thing, um, we used to have a, uh, music store called, um, bookworms apple and he wow. sold books and he sold albums and he sold a lot of the, uh, paraphernalia for alternate substances. And, ah. <laughs> and he, um, uh, he looked like, I mean, down to even almost the accent of the uh, comic book guy on The Simpsons. On The Simpsons, right. Yeah, I mean, yes. you know, because he, um, he started getting comic books. This was, I guess, in the middle 80s um, because they had just started doing independent, uh, you know, comic book stores and there were certain comics you could only get at a comic book store you couldn't get it at a newsstand anymore exactly. and um yes. I'm drawing a blank on his name i think it was chet and chet you know was driving to beaumont which is about 60 miles away from lake charles to pick up his comics and so he just decided you know i'm just going to start selling the comics um, and, and he told a wonderful story and I, I love your perspective on it. He said, one of the reasons he loved comics is if you told somebody, Hey, you should check that comic out. They normally would versus if you said, Hey, I think you'll like this record. Um, they wouldn't. And he says, and it's right. not just the money. It's just, they, they were really, you know, I wanted the new Stevie wonder, and that's all I'm interested in or, or you know, or whatever exactly. it is. Yeah. Um, so you grew up in North Texas. What, um, what was your family into music or did you, what um, kind of music yeah, did you listen to, a, to? To a certain extent, you know, uh, I had parents, you know, born in the thirties, um, you know, uh, and my dad, had control of the radio in the car, let's face it, you know. Absolutely. And, and he, was a, he was a big country guy there probably the last, uh, oh, I don't know, 30 years or 40 years that uh, um, he was around. Um, before then, though, I mean, you know, I've got his old record collection, his old LPs, and, you know, a lot of jazz. He loved the drums. I remember him bringing in uh, a friend's uh, drum kit and, you know, and just – noodling on it or whatever you want to call it for about two or three weeks to sit in the living room. And he's just in there playing the drums for fun, you know, but I mean, he loved, you know, getting him some drummers and, and, and listening to that stuff. And we had one of those big component stereo systems. that was about 15 feet long. It had the, the, the wood cabinetry, you sure. know, the speakers at either end and the turntable in the middle with the radio and everything. And, you know, he would delight whenever he got a new LP and he would come in there and he would crank that thing up, drive my mom crazy. But, you know, jazz and big band, a little bit of rock and roll. He liked the ventures, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've still got some of those walk, don't run. I've got, you know, original LP of that, um, which, you know, I'm pretty proud of. And, but, you know, growing up, I spent a ton of time, in the bowling alley because my parents both bowled and my dad um, was also a night manager on the weekend. So, you know, I'd go in there and, you know, it was jukebox crazy. Oh, you know? wow, cool. <laughs> and you'd sit there and listen to that jukebox and you would just wait and see what people would come up and play. And we'd stand next to the jukebox and, and just read all the titles and, you know, and we got to where somebody would punch in a number A7. Oh, I know what that is. Call me Twitty. You know, you would just know it. Well, that's Linda Ronstadt, you know. You know, and, um, so Scott, one of the things, um, we're both ticket fans, and um, side note for those of you who have not heard, uh, the ticket is the local sports station here in Dallas, and 
they talk of sometimes they'll talk about things that are magical when you were a kid, you know. Oh gosh, um, yeah. And and the jukebox, I I still uh, would love to have a jukebox in my house, you know. Oh, Wurlitzer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it would be a pain in the rear to keep up and everything, but just that magic of having right. that would be so cool. Um, oh, it, it was, it was greatness. Yeah. It, it, I can imagine. And, um, my, my mom still has a lot of, um, albums. And in fact, she was really proud, um, when she found a machine that would take the album and put it on a CD, you could convert an L, you know, an album oh, to a yeah. CD. And, um, when just a few weeks ago, as we record this, Fats Domino passed, and she sent me a text going, well, um, your Fats Domino records just increased in price. <laughs> because <laughs> um, there's a lot of, you know, as older parents, you know, parents start to get older, there is this, okay, we want, we want to tell you kids what we want you to have. And you know, exactly. put everything. And one of the things that I've been very clear on is, okay, I want the albums, you know, yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about China. I'm not worried about a lot of stuff, but I, I really want those albums, mom. And, exactly. uh, and so she, she did, she goes, she goes, not as sad as Merle Haggard, uh, <laughs> passing, <laughs> but, um, you know, or Don Williams, she goes, but sad, that fights the right. pass. So um, we we had a little bond moment there. Um, <laughs> so as you're growing up, um, I assume um, when did you graduate high school? I graduated in 1981. Okay, so you're about four years because uh, I graduated in '77. So similar okay. genre. Um, when did you discover? So your did you discover rock and roll kind of as a rebel or just through peer pressure? I, I discovered, you know, rock and roll, basically the jukebox uh, at, at the bowling alley. I mean, that's where I heard the Rolling Stones and, and the Beatles. I mean, I still remember to this day and still my favorite rock and roll song of all time is the electric version of Revolution by the Beatles because I would hear it on that jukebox. Um, now, get me out of the bowling alley and the music I listened to was pretty much what I was spoon-fed on the radio, the top 40 stations. And um, I, I really, I think I got into rock and roll when, uh, you know, when I, and I would call it real rock and roll, when I got into like junior high around the seventh grade, you know, and, uh, you know, you get around these other kids because, you know, you're around seventh, eighth, and ninth graders at that time. So you're getting an influence from those kids as well. And, um that's probably when I really started getting into the rock world and listening to the, the two local radio stations here. You had KZEW and Q102, and those are the two album rock stations. And, you know, finding those was like, wow, man, this is cool, you know, because I'd gone from top 40 to that. And, um, and that was pretty much where, you know, all my rock tastes came from was, you know, those two stations. And, and it was album rock, you know, what, you know, the kids call it classic rock now, you know, that's what we were listening to all the time. Um, and, and that's kind of where I, I got it from. Yeah. I, you know, down here in, in North Texas, you know, if you heard a Springsteen song, it was, it was rare, you know, you, you, you were more likely to hear, you know, Leonard Skinner or, or something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever they played Bruce, it was, it was, not a very common thing, you know. I mean, it was you had your basic ACDC and Priest and, and Bad Company and the Doobie Brothers and Floyd, you know, that sort of thing. So, but, uh, yeah, that was a question I wanted to ask you. Um, do you remember when you discovered Bruce? It, it had to have been, it, it was easily, it was junior high, you know, junior high to high school, right in that range. Um, and you know, the, the, the stuff that you heard, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, Born to Run. That was probably the first Springsteen song I heard, um, you know, and heard that and was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. And, you know, and it had a little bit of, uh, oh, what 
was his name? Oh, you know, I keep wanting to say Asbury Jukes, but that's not right. You know, I can't remember. I know Bruce has played these guys a thousand times. Southside you know, like, Johnny and the others. Yes, that's, it. that's yeah. Southside Johnny. You know, it kind of right. had that kind of a feeling. You know, and I, I remember hearing a couple of his cuts. You know, what you'd hear down here would be, you know, Born to Run most of the time if you heard Bruce. Maybe Rosalita, you right. know, maybe every now and then they, you might get Promised Land. That'd be a deep cut, you know. Right. But that was pretty much it. And um, until I think it was like 1980 when the river hit. Yeah. And then, oh, my God, you know, it was it was Springsteen all the time on the radio at that point. Yeah. You know, uh, um, I know that in Houston, it seems like he had a pretty healthy following. You hear stories about him and the band, you know, flying for the first time and going to see Houston. And um, right. I, I remember um, in uh, Harvest Records in Lake Charles, Louisiana, was the independent record store. And I was going in there. Um, I guess this was, must have been late 70s maybe early 80s um because i had i discovered the beach boys when i graduated in high school in 77 and was this you know obsessive and so would go into harvest records to see if there had been a new album or if they had brought in some you know an an old album or or cassette back then that i had not purchased and um, I remember the manager talking about going to see Bruce in a Houston show, and um, and they were so exhausted. He said, <laughs> um, "We were we thought the show was over, and they came back. He came back out to do Born to Run, and we were so exhausted we just kept walking." And I was like, wow, man, this sounds like oh a, my gosh. yeah, it sounds like, wow, what a really cool thing to do. So, um, but I, I guess, the, and, you know, Dallas has, I, you know, Austin has certainly the roots and, and there is that Texas blues of um, Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and those kind right. of, is a deep through here. So versus Jersey and the East Coast having that kind of thing. So I can see how mm-hmm. that'd be different. Um, now, you were telling me a lot a, of ZZ Top, you yeah, know? <laughs> a lot of ZZ Top, right? Um, yeah, and also you got to think about in um, Outlaw Country was hitting strong, right? Because you know, in the late seventies, right. early eighties, uh, Willie Nelson, you know, Jerry Jeff Walker, uh, you know, this Waylon right. Jennings, all this um, really strong. And then I guess you get into the whole urban cowboy thing with Texas ah. and Gillies and everything. So there was a, this whole. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, you told, you started to tell a story in the earlier podcast about um, getting tickets. So yes. <laughs> would you mind telling that story? And you may have to give a little background for some of our younger listeners um <laughs> about what this ticket thing is <laughs> yes and it, and this is and this is partly tongue-in-cheek you know i i realize that you know it's not that long ago um you know it kind of like that there used to be a phone that hung on a wall that you put coins in to use because exactly yeah so talk about your um getting in line to get tickets okay uh like I, I, I talked about, um, you know, when uh, the the river came out, um, it came out and it was all over the radio. And at that time, I wasn't, I didn't really appreciate it that much. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of the river. I liked Born to Run and stuff, but the river just, it, I don't know, it just rubbed me wrong. I don't know. I think at that point I was still too much of a, of a, a ZZ Top, bad company, rock and roller kind of guy, you know, that, hey, that's not my kind of music. Um, but later on, uh, when I went to college, this was a big change for me going into college was, uh, I, I met a lot of guys and and I made friends with a bunch of guys from New York and Jersey. Yeah. Um, and you know, and they introduced me to some, you know, other stuff and and I've got some older springs and I've had like his first record, but that's really all I owned, you know, and they started talking about other stuff and playing it for me. And I was like, wow, you know, and then 
playing some uh, deeper cuts off of the river, and I'm like, oh, that's a cool song. You know, that's that's way better than the song The River, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, then, you know, you're kind of waiting on the next one. And I, I think um, when we went and saw him, it was uh, about 84. Um, he had come through on the Born in the USA tour. And mm -hmm. uh, my roommate, uh, my last roommate from, from college, I had, uh, you know, I roomed with uh, a guy, George, for a little right. while. Um, and then when a couple of years later, I was rooming with this buddy uh, who uh, um, he was really into Bruce. And he's like, man, we got to go see him. We got to go see him. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, let's let's do this. And, and at the time, you had to physically go buy a ticket at a place that sold tickets, um, you know, and that that was only one step removed from probably maybe 10 years before that. You had to actually go to the venue, go up to a window and purchase a ticket and they would have a big bundle of those tickets and they would just peel off two tickets and give them to you, you know, and right. when you purchased them. Well, so then we started going to what, you know, it was Ticketmaster at the time. I'm not even sure if Ticketmaster's around anymore because I don't buy through them. But, you know, you would have to go to your local Sears outlet <laughs> because they had a, a ticket sales in their, their general office up there. And so... Here it is. It's, it's 1984. Um, my roommate, Jonathan, and I, uh, and my ex-girlfriend at the time, uh, we said, okay, we're going to camp out for Bruce tickets. And, you know, you had to camp out because you had to be, you had to be first, you know, otherwise it'd be sold out in, right. you know, half a day. So um, we go up there and, and set up our little a little spot outside the store as it's shutting down and people are walking out of the store looking at us. Cause it's not just us, you know, there's probably a hundred people out there, Yeah, you know, all right down the sidewalk in sleeping bags and, and pop-up tents, um, you know, uh, sitting out there with lunch bags and, and, and boom boxes at the time. And, um, so we camp out there and, and we're ready to stay all night long, you know, and we're, you know, kind of giving each other breaks, like, okay, you run over to Jack in the Box, I'll hold the place in line, and you run right. over to Jack in the Box, I'll run over to Jack in the Box. And everybody was really cool. I mean, it was kind of a, uh, I don't know what kind of, you know, you would call it almost like a tailgating sure. kind of atmosphere. Everybody was really cool to each other and hanging out and talking and telling their stories of, you know, what they listen to, and how, when they've seen Bruce before. And, and, and I was kind of excited because I'd never done this before. I'd never seen this guy, and I'd just heard the stories. And, um, you know, we were out in the parking lot and my buddy Jonathan and I are playing Frisbee, you know, you know, out in this huge empty parking lot now and, and eating on our, our fast food and just waiting for the, uh, the ticket master to open up, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning. And, and, you know, they come down, they unlock the doors and they let you race up there upstairs to go and get to the ticket place. And you go in there and you buy your, your tickets and then it would print up on a little screen, you know, okay, I want three, and it would pop up your three best tickets. Give them to me, you know? Oh, how funny. And do you, Scott, do you do you remember where the show was going to be? It was at the Cotton Bowl. Ah, oh, very nice. Oh, oh, oh I, let, me, let me think, let me think. Uh, I want to say, yeah, it was the, I think it was the, it was either, it was, either, yeah, Cotton Bowl. Reunion Arena was the, the first time I saw him, actually. Cotton Bowl's the second. So, yeah, okay. the first time I saw him was Reunion Arena, which doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, and we had, I'll say they're decent tickets. They were on the side, you know, in the bowl and that kind sure. of thing. And um, and I, I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, I get there and the place was just insane. You know, I'd yeah. been to concerts before, but this was just, I, 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 I didn't know that he was that big of a deal. I'll be honest at the sure. time, you know, um, it just, it, it didn't click with me at that point. Um, and, uh, uh you know, he comes out and, and you talked about the guy being exhausted. I mean, it was a four hour show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was before the, the, the encore, you know, which uh, the one of the encores, it, it has a, uh, a story behind it that you, you hear occasionally around here. And I always hear it um, told incorrectly because I was there, man. I was okay. there. I saw what happened. He came out and uh, he does the song. Is it Stand On It? Is that yeah, one of his Yeah, I think tunes? so, yeah. Stand On It. Okay, he comes out and he does Stand On It. And I mean, and they rock their socks right off of everybody there. And he gets through with the song 
and somebody down there in the first few rows throws up an artificial leg and it lands on the stage. Wow. <laughs> and occasionally you'll hear that story told that he'll say, you know, what do you want to hear next? And somebody threw the leg up and he goes, all right, stand on it. You know, it's like, no, no, it's, it's, it's backwards. But somebody threw a leg on oh, how the funny. Stage, you know, and, and I remember seeing that and just going, holy cow. Yeah. This is what amazing. Is this? You know? <laughs> so, Scott, how many times have you seen him perform? I, I've seen him twice. Okay. Uh, like I, said, I saw him at Reunion, and I saw him at uh, uh, the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. And it's it's kind of since gotten to the point where I just can't afford it anymore, you know? Sure, I understand. <laughs> uh, I, just, I can't do that, you know? Uh, yes, I totally understand. Um, uh, as we're reaching, you know, we're recording this, it's um, middle of November, and a couple people through Facebook groups have reached out and said, you know, hey, Jesse, do you want me to try to get you a Broadway ticket? And I'm like, oh. I, I just, yes, but I just don't know if I can afford four or $600. First off, I, I know, know I can't. I mean, right. first off, I can't. But, you know, you can try to justify like, okay, it's a once in a lifetime experience. And, you know, exactly. Yeah. So um, that's um, and I hope um, we're hoping next time he comes through Dallas, we can all go together and and kind of you can experience him, you know, as um, now on the other side, you know, as an older uh, rocker still getting there. Um, When. Uh, what are some of your other favorite musicians or shows you've attended? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. Ah, nice. And, and you know, I discovered Neil, you know, obviously heard him, you know, yeah. back in the junior high days and stuff, you know. But uh, I really became a true fan um, right about my senior year, you know, of high school. And then going into college, that's when I really started to realize that, man, there's this guy saying stuff that really reaches out to me, you know, and I feel it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've seen him probably more than I've seen any other artist. I've, you know, I'll say 10 times I've seen the guy everywhere from, you know, uh, a big productions to just him solo, you know, in, in small yeah. venues. I've, I've seen them all. So, um, and that's that's something I'd love to see if Bruce as a small venue. Yeah, kind of, that would you know. um yeah, that would be very cool. So I, I have a couple of questions for you about Neil Young. So you I there was a discussion that if they uh if Bruce had not um perhaps changed Born in the USA to this anthem versus the originally he was gonna do a blues version you know, mm-hmm. would that album have caught fire the way it would have? And would he, you know, that launched him in orbit. And then, right. you know, and then kind of uh, Tunnel Love was a little bit less. And then he kind of um, has continued to explore. But, I mean, that is what made him, you know, an oh. 80s icon. And so oh, yes. if that had happened, I say he would be a Neil Young type level, Um, you know, few hits on the radio. Everyone knows, most people know who he is respected in the musical community. Um, Do you think that's a fair uh, assessment? I think it is. I I, I think it it really is. Uh, A story about born in the USA went from my old days of of working sound warehouse. Yeah. Um, I when, I when I was working in this store over in Arlington, where the stadium is now, um, we would have in stores, you know, where artists or, or celebrities, whatever, would come in and do autograph signings, right. you know, or appearances. And for whatever reason, and to this day, I still don't know what the deal was. Uh, they had the Von Erichs, the Wrestling Brothers. Oh, okay? interesting. Yeah, they were coming in to do an in store at our place. And and I'm I'm gonna say this with all due respect to those who who enjoy wrestling, <laughs> but the crowd that it brought to the store yeah was very different than what we were used to yeah and okay? for those of you who aren't knowing Von Erichs were um, 
they were local wrestling royalty. Um, yeah. You know, they were Dallas's version of the Hulk Hogan's and The Rock and Stone Cold Austin. Their, back their in, father was Prince Von Erich, who, yes. you know, who made the name for the family. Yeah, and yes. uh, they would play at the, uh, they would wrestle at the Sportatorium, and uh, a very tragic family. It, they had been have, yes. they've had a lot of um, the sons, a lot of death, and uh, but they are, you know, a very well known um, Dallas Fort Worth, um, you know, sports, you know, wrestling icon. So right, yes. even people that aren't into wrestling know that name. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, right. um, yeah, so I can so, imagine well, so, it's a different crowd. Oh gosh. I mean, there, we ended up, we ended up having to throw out people. Okay. Yeah. Because you had people who were climbing up onto the records to get up above people to, to, to get a view. And it's like, seriously, you're climbing on things, you know, in the store, you know, it's like, get out of here. But what happened was that they ended up being about an hour and a half late. Okay. okay? So here we are. We've got about 500 people lined up through the store. Okay, they're kind of winding through the store because that's how Sound Warehouse wanted to do it because they want people to shop while they're while they're standing online. But these people weren't buying anything, right? Yeah, I, and it was getting really unruly. Right. You know, uh, and I mean, it's like people are shouting things, and you know, you're seeing, you know, the scowls, and people are bitching under their breath, and just, I mean, it's getting kind of tough, and. Um, so I walk down there, and I, go, I got an idea. I go down to the turntable, and I pull out Born in the USA. Okay. I put that thing on, and you hear those first few bars of, of Born in the USA, and the crowd just shut up, and they all just turned and started listening. I mean, it was like you were playing the national anthem. Wow. You know? And they all were just like, and they all start singing, Born in the and I mean, the whole mood of the place just changed. And me and one of my managers are looking at it, looking at them going, you think they know it's a protest song? No, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, exactly. They don't have any clue. <laughs> just, just, right. just forget it and just let's just go on. And within a few minutes later, you know, the Von Erichs came in and, you know, did their autograph signing and uh, all these people left and we had tons of broken merchandise and no sales. <laughs> but it was, it, it was just blew me away that, that the power of that song. That is, you know, yeah, that is a great amazing. story. Um, anyone, um, any people that did come in that you were really impressed with that did signings that you went, hey, this was kind of cool? Oh, you know, we had, uh, gosh, you know, we, Ozzy Osbourne and, and, and uh, White Snake and, uh, um, gosh trying to think of the different because there was it, it literally it did get to be one of these things where it was like oh god i gotta work yeah. that you know and, and you would try to get out of working in stores but we had so many and i would go to to ones at different stores because uh you know they'd call me since i was a store manager they'd say hey could you come work at you know the, the big store in greenville avenue you know mm -hmm. and kind of help do crowd control with them you know and then be just like another manager on the floor and you know so I, I worked so many of them, but uh, a lot of country artists came through there, you know, and, and, and uh, mm -hmm. um, I'd say probably the biggest act that I ever worked was like the White Snake and the okay. Ozzy Osbourne, you know. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite um, Sound Warehouse stories was when um, Springsteen's live box set was going to come out. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you had the albums or cassettes um, mm -hmm. you could buy, and I remember going to the Sound Warehouse there on Greenville, and they this massive display. Oh, of, oh it was unreal. Yeah, and I because I, I know exactly what you mean because you know I, these record bins that were eight foot long, and like three tiered. You know, with with the 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 waterfall effect. You know, for the LPs. Yeah, and they're full of just all of that Bruce Springsteen live, you know? And so I was going to ask you that because I, you know, this was, um, the first thing he had released after born in the USA. Right. And, you know, and it was this, um, you know, kind of, it was his version of greatest hits, you know, at that point. And, you know, so I remember just being ecstatic 
to get this and bring it home. You know, I was just uh-huh. and and you know and listening to it and and hearing all the different songs was amazing. I didn't know if you um, any other memories you might have from that. Oh, I you know that box that you know I picked it up almost immediately. Um, it was one of those things that we had so many of. I mean, it it was it was really I'm going to say overbought <laughs> for our stores. You know, yeah, because it we didn't sell out of it by any close to any close to imagination that we ever get that. Well, it was expensive. Uh, far with it. it was very expensive, and I think to a certain extent, you had. A lot of people, especially down here, who looked at Bruce Springsteen and said, "What's he got? He has maybe two albums out, and already he's got this big box set." Right. Because they just didn't know. Yes. You know, up up north, you know, this thing was probably a, a, a monster, and you know, maybe even on the west coast. Right. Um, I don't know, but down here, it just it, it sold. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it just wasn't, I think, what they thought it was going to be. Um, there was a bunch of that stuff that that. that that title that got returned, you know, and then we got it in on CD. So you had the box set with CDs as well, yeah. you know, and it was just as big. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to Neil Young once and I'm sure. And, and if you have no interest, we'll cut this out. But um, <laughs> okay. one of the things that I've done earlier this year is I reached out to podcasters of you know other genres you know other music Mm -hmm. podcasters and you know comedy podcasters and um that were not bruce fans and i picked 10 bruce springsteen songs that were you would most people wouldn't know they were not hits and then Mm -hmm. i i gave them to them and then i gave them plenty of time and then we had a discussion of those songs and you know and the and i told him right up front scott i don't care if you like it don't care if you hate it all i'm saying is don't just go eh, it was okay because that makes right. a bad podcast I, I know very little about neil young so if you'd be interested maybe in january or something doing that with me saying here oh, are 10 I- neil young songs jesse i think you know different stages of his career different um you know and give a and for me to get a perspective you know as and what i called him is my newbie episodes i'd love to mm-hmm. do a neil young newbie episode sure so, i i'd love to do it. i i would love to make you a mixtape jesse okay that's yes that's exactly <laughs> what it is so uh well and you know and you know so what i did and because the beauty of spotify and the internet you know, you can just hear the 10 songs and you can listen to, you know, especially Bruce, right. the live versions, the studio versions and everything. So that was a fun discussion. So let's I'd like to do that because I'd love to hear um, I recognize his greatness, but mm-hmm. it's just not something I have a personal connection with. So I think that would be fun. Sure. I'd, I'd love to do it. I, I'd love to put something like that together for you. Okay. Um, any other sound warehouse stories, horror stories, good stories? <laughs> I, I know one of the things you mentioned is um, you guys started having to sell tickets. We sold tickets, yeah. And the same thing, right? Oh, it's going to get us so much traffic in the store. And people like, go, and buy it, their ticket and leave, right? Exactly. And that that's what it was. And and then we started having people camping out in front of our stores, you know? Um, and so we'd go home 10 o'clock at night, 1130 at night, you know, and you'd have already 15, 20 people outside, camped outside your store waiting on it. And and I, I think the worst one that we ever had was New Kids on the Block. I can imagine, <laughs> right? It was a madhouse, you know, and I'd go walk out there in the morning, I'd get to work, and there'd be all these, you know, 100, 150 people camped out in front of my store. And I'd walk out there, and I'd give them a trash bag, and I'd say, start it here, start handing it down, and put trash in it, because I'm not picking this trash up for you guys later, you know. And I'd go back out there 15 minutes later, and it's gone like four people, and it's laying on the ground, and I just got there and go. All right, here's the deal. You're not getting tickets until the trash is picked up. You know? Good for you. Oh man, come on! Like, no, pick up your stupid trash. But um, you know, you'd have those lottery systems, and there was always, especially with those kid acts, there was always somebody 
that assumed that uh, the lottery was rigged, you know? Right. Um, because, oh, well, how come they got the right? Because they had the right number. I don't know, you know? Because yeah. I, mean, I try to tell these people, I, I really, I have no no feeling whatsoever about who buys the first ticket. I just don't care, you know? I'm just selling the tickets to, to, to do it because that's what I got to do. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, that, that's, and, and that and all the scalpers that would come in. Yeah, you know, you'd get those guys. So, uh, yeah, I, I imagine that's got to be interesting. I, you know, we get a little bit of that, um, you know, with the the pit and people wanting to get in Springsteen, and they want, you know, they do the lottery, and and so they line up to get their number, and then. Uh, you know, and then they pick it, and that way you can get elbows on the stage, and uh, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, you you got out of the retail business, and then so you said you worked kind of for a different music company. What were you doing for them? I, I, when I, I worked for Universal Music, which uh, you know, it's called Uni Distribution. I think they had to change their name back when okay. uh, there was a couple of lawsuits uh, that went on. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was a, a record company, a distributor that, that handled MCA Records, Geffen Records, um, uh, MCA Nashville, Margaritaville, DGC, ah. all these other labels, okay? So they would handle it. And, and, you know, you had all the majors in town. You had... Universal, you had Polygram, you had RCA, um, you had um, Sony and Warner Brothers. You know, all those guys were were in Dallas because um, this was a very big hub for the music. I mean, there was nothing that went to Oklahoma, Louisiana, New Mexico, or anywhere in Texas that didn't come through Dallas. You know, it all came through here. And um, so I, I worked with them first doing marketing in stores. You know, I was just a guy who would go out and put up posters and talk up music and that kind of a thing. And I worked up to um, doing sales and, and handling sales for uh, uh, Best Buy and Borders and uh, Barnes and Noble. And, and my big account was APHIS, the Army Air Force Exchange. Sure. So, you know, I sold them music. Um, and, and again, handling that, that Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma and, and, and New Mexico. Right. You know, that area. And, and, a little bit up into Kansas and Colorado, you know, and, and Arizona. There were, there were had a few of my accounts that went out to there. Um, but that, that, that got to be a great thing because I really was introduced to a, a lot more music there, even, you know, uh, than just uh, when I was with Sound Warehouse because I would be dealing with people from the other labels all the time, the other companies, and we would exchange music all the time. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and you'd, you'd say, ah, oh, this one's cool here. You can have this one off. Let me have that one. And, and we would just switch stuff back and forth all the time. And, and so I heard so many different kinds of music and um, different genres and artists and got introduced to things. And, uh, you know, so it, it was sort of an exponential jump from high school, college, college to working in the record store, then record store, working for the record company, you know, so each time my horizon was, was widened even more so, you know? So Scott, was there anyone that you kind of, um, you heard early and you went, okay, I think this, this is a diamond in the rough, or I think this is someone that I could see them breaking big. Oh yeah. I, I, I fully take credit for breaking, uh, the band counting crows down here. <laughs> Because I, I saw the we got the, the the promotional record for the very first Counting Crows record in, okay, and um, got the CD in. And I listened to it, took it home as I often did, and I'd just sit there and devour it. And overnight, you know, if it was something new and interesting, and I heard that thing, and I just went, "This is amazing! This is amazing!" I went back to uh, the office the next day, and I called the label, and I said, "Okay." I want to have, uh, I think I ordered like 150 promotional copies of it. And they're like, what? I said, you get me 150 promotional copies of this. And like, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure every manager of every store in Texas and Oklahoma, Louisiana, New Mexico has a copy of this record on there. And then, and I didn't just stop there. Uh, you know, this is before the band does anything. Okay. Right. 
they come and you talked about music land earlier. Well, music land, their regional offices were up here in Dallas and, um, they were having their regional meetings, you know, like this two day or three day thing where they bring in all the managers and, you know, and do promotions and meetings and stuff like that with them. Well, on the final night, um, we had the band that was playing for them and it was the counting crows. So you got to think about here's the counting crows playing in a holiday inn. <laughs> okay. In a, in a meeting room. Okay. So we're like in this, this meeting room. It's, it's probably as big as, I don't know, not even a, a school cafeteria, you know, elementary school cafeteria. Right. Okay. It's a small place. And, um, so I, I've taken all these promotional CDs and I've taken the, the booklets out of every one of them, the cover booklets out of every one of them. And I go back, you know, I'm hanging out there with the band and like that, and we go backstage and backstage consisted of the kitchen <laughs> because uh-huh. there was no backstage. And I proceed to get every one of these things autographed by every member of the band. And wow. um, I just said, all right, just pass them out. We're going to start autographing. And they're like, all right, cool. And I got every one of them autographed. And then I put all those CDs together, put them in there, wrote up a letter saying, you know, I'm just going to tell you, you have something special. You have an autographed copy of this band, and I promise you they're going to be huge. Play this in your store. You know, and I kind of juiced it up a little bit saying, you know, if I walk in your store and you're playing this CD, I'll let you pick any CD out of our catalog and I'll give it to you for free. You know, of course, so that kind of juiced it. But that that record exploded out of the Dallas Fort Worth area because those managers heard it. They loved it and they just played the living crap out of it. And they had an autographed copy of it. So now these guys are, you know, we're talking how many years is that? 30 years um, or whatever. Maybe not quite that long. Uh, you know, that they've got this thing, this very first Counting Crows record, and they have it autographed by every member of the band, you know, and it's sitting in their little collection somewhere, you know, going, yeah, I got this. You know, so they had a piece of history right there. So what that was a great that, story. That, that I, I think it's like, yeah, I broke that band here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because every store around here was playing that record, you know. I didn't have a single manager that said, oh, this is terrible, you know. And then they... um I remember that that uh, they played um, they played Saturday Night Live um, uh, a few months after I think that first record came out, and I remember people going, you know, who is Counting Crows? How come Counting Crows are on it? They, Saturday Night Live is supposed to have big bands, you know, and and it, at that time it was like every manager down here, we know who they are, <laughs> you know, we we know what that is because it's selling so big down here, and and. And it was just a, a massive hit, and you know, and, and I never met anybody that heard that record that didn't say, "I love it," you know. Wow, very cool, very so nice. Sometimes you know, you, you get to say you got your touch somewhere in history. Yeah, there know? you go. <laughs> um, so uh, we're I, I've kept you for a while, so I, we're gonna That's wrap okay. it up. But uh, I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> very nice of you to say. Um, you currently are you you got out of the music business and now you're a teacher, um, right? So that's that has to be um, satisfying and yet frustrating at times. It's, uh, it's all the above, yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to me about how you've incorporated your love of music in um, your teaching, and um, I, I especially thought it was interesting about, um, you know, your door and your wall. You keep track of people right. who pass and such. So tell me a little about that. Okay. Well, I, being or coming from that music world, uh, I, I never have a classroom running that doesn't have music playing. And when the, when the students are, are working on, because I teach art, I think we, we, we should qualify that. Right. I teach art, and I think that whenever the students are, are working on a project, you know, I think it's important to listen to music because they just go so hand in hand, visual art and, and music. Absolutely. Um, so And so I play stuff in there all the time, you know, and I've got different different things for different projects. You know, it depends on, on what we're doing. Uh, I've got my fifth graders working on a surrealist image. You know, I'm playing some psychedelic kind of music for them, you know. Um, I get some of them working on uh, like some kind of cubist work or – something that's real technical and I'm, I'll be playing some electronica for them. Um, 
So I, I, I try to match the music, but a lot of times it's just, okay, we're going to, we're going to be listening to, uh, my CSNNY Pandora station or, you right. know, or, or Warren Zevon or, you know, something like that. You know, I've got a, a Bruce station that I listen to as well. It's it, a lot of crossover in those three. Um, but, you know, I, I play this stuff all the time and I have lyrics to songs that uh, when I hear a song and, and the lyrics just really touch me and I think, man, that's, 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 a, that's a deep message. You know, I'll print the lyrics up and I paste them up in my room. And, and I don't make a thing of it. I just put it up right. because my thing is I, I want the students just to happen to read it, you know, and then, you know, ask me about it. What, what is this? And then I can go on and start talking to them about what it is and who it is and, um, and why I put it up. And, you know, I have my, my door, it's the outside of my door. It leads into the hallway. Um, and I've done this since, I started teaching 16 years ago that uh, whenever somebody passes that made a difference in my life, you know, they somehow touched my world. Um, I put their name up. I'll have kind of what they're famous for. Either it's, you know, a, an actor or an artist, a musician, or it could be somebody from my personal life. You know, over the years, my father's been on the door and my aunts and uncles have been on the door and my mother's been on the door, you know, and that always sparks questions. And, you know, and I, I, I put people on the door, you know, I've got Tom Petty on there, obviously. I've got Fats Domino on there, obviously. And, and kids will come in and it, it's kind of neat because I'll, I'll walk to the door and I'll open it up and I'll see like three or four kids stand there reading the door, wow. you know, as I open it. And, you know, then they'll walk in and say, well, well, you know, who is this? You know, I, I think one of them one time, well, who was Johnny Cash? I said, you want to know who Johnny Cash is? I'm like, yeah. I said, here's your assignment. When you come back to see me the next time you're here, I want you to have three Johnny Cash songs that you have listened to. And I want you to write down the titles and, and I want you to listen to them and I want you to tell me about them. Okay, you know, and I come back and I'll say, "All right, stand up and let's talk about what you heard." You know, and then they'll they'll tell me, "Okay, I heard this song," you know, and then you know, and just kind of go on about it. You know, Ring of Fire, and 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 you know, whenever it can just spark a little bit of conversation, that's what I want it to do. Um, uh, just anything. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's a really, um, you know, I won't get too political, but one of the things we fight is. Um, arts in the school are very quickly, they want to, you know, people will want to cut. And, right. and you know, I, I was, you know, I, I did music in high school and, and I believe that, um, you know, I, I sometimes wish we had had a little more um, teachers, a little more passionate, um, you know, because so many albums and songs are poetry and to cover that oh, and to yeah. talk about it. So I think the way you're doing this is really beautiful for them to see that and to say, well, who is, you know, Tom Petty or, you know, who is Fats right. Domino or like, in you know, Johnny Cash and to share that and talk about it. And um, I think that's a really beautiful way. And I also agree with you that, you know, as you're working with your hands and making art, whether it's, you know, your painting or sculpting or whatever you're doing to have that music feeding your soul as well is oh, yeah. a pretty cool experience. I think that's well done. Oh, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I cannot remember a time ever, you know, creating my own artwork that I didn't have uh, music playing, you know, yeah. and, and it's usually, it's it's whatever I'm I'm working on, you know, as to what I'm listening to. Uh, I I remember in college creating, I was having to do a, a large clay sculpture that was uh, I don't know about 24 inches tall and about um, I don't know 18 inches wide. There was parameters to it, and it was one of these things that I, it was a big daunting task, and I had to work fast. So I went in. I put on Ramstein, you know, on my headphones, and you know, and it's this real heavy industrial metal, and I'm just you know carving like a son of a guy and you know, working on this, this sculpture, you know, I got it done. It looked fabulous, you know, but you know, I'll go anything to, if I'm doing some writing, um, 
I'll I'll put on some uh, uh, some Paul Winter or or something you know that's just all instrumental, you know, and some George Winston uh, type of thing that's just instrumental to listen to that just kind of I don't have words to think about because I'm trying to think about other words and you know but you know you listen to the music that touches your heart and it touches your soul you know it's gonna help bring that world out of you you know and it's going to help work on your heart you know um yeah i will tell you there is um you know obviously um listeners have heard that i had a you know i had an f cancer playlist that um i had a lot of bruce a lot of brian wilson you know you two um some johnny cash you know, and others on there. Um, but I also at times, um, when I've had to, um, write performance appraisals, um, Mm -hmm. I can remember being in my office and throwing on, um, a John Hyatt CD and just, uh, uh, you know, um, and just listening to that while I'm writing, you know, and just, um, and, and just that energy of his music giving me oh, yeah. the energy so that I could keep writing because, you know, I'm, I'm working until eight, nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that energy, um, a few years ago, I drove to Atlanta for dragon con. It was a long drive and I listened to a yes. lot of podcasts and about seven o'clock at night, you know, I switched over to East street radio to hear a Bruce concert because that energy kept me awake and kept me driving. So oh, yeah. yeah, totally. I totally agree. Um, beautiful. Um, so any final thoughts you want to share with us, Scott? Well, you know, uh, we've talked about different things, you know, before about, about Bruce and, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've always loved when, when the guy has, has done guest appearances with other artists. I love hearing him, you know, uh, working with different people. Because he's he's such a distinctive voice, such a distinctive guitar sound, you know. I mean, uh, same thing when I hear Neil. When if I hear a song and Neil's playing guitar on it, I know it's him, even if I've never heard that song before. And, and it's pretty much the same thing with Springsteen, you know. When I hear it, it's like that's Springsteen. I know that's him. And you know, and sure as crud, they come up and I'm like, yeah, you know, Bruce Springsteen was 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 on that record. But you know, I mean, he's he's identifiable. Um, and I think lots of people know who he is, but I was talking to someone the other day about Bruce and, um, I made the analogy that said he's the Grand Canyon. I'm like, well, you know, what do you mean by that? And I said, there's two kinds of people that when they see the Grand Canyon, um, they either walk up to it and they go, okay, it's a big hole in the ground. All right. Big deal. Because they just don't get it. (laughs) And then there's the person that walks up to the Grand Canyon and they're just blown away. And all they want is more. I want to see well, what, what's down that way, what's over there. And I think that's the same way with Bruce. You have people that either love him or they hate him. They get it or they just don't, you know. And for me, it was one of those things where I had to kind of be brought into it and introduced to it. I, I you know, I knew I liked Born to Run, but, you know, it had that good kind of a rock vibe to it, you know. And once I heard more off the river – then I started getting more into the deeper cuts and I started to mature in my tastes. And, um, you know, now when he has something that comes out, I've, I've got several Bruce records now on LP and on CD, you know, <laughs> so my, my uh, catalog grew, you know, and now when I hear something new, it's like, okay, I want to hear what we got. Well, what is, what, what do we got? What do we got? What's new? You yeah. know? And, and it's, it's an exciting thing. It really is an exciting thing to, to hear his music, you know, um, I think that, you know, and this is probably off a little bit of the topic, but I think one of the, the records that he did that really, really touched me was, um, you know, his, his record after 9-11. Yes. You know, The Rising. You know, that record, you know, I hear those songs and I'll, I'll openly weep to some of that music because you know what he's talking about. Yes. And, you know, and, and for those of us who who did live that, you know, 
there's so many people behind us that that's history as in it's only in a book or maybe they see a video clip or something you know they weren't around or aware enough at the time and you know and our parents could say the same thing about pearl harbor and, and kennedy being assassinated and stuff um but you know to hear him put that in there you know that that's like hearing neil when he's saying ohio you know when he wrote the lyrics to ohio after the kent state shootings you know, he yes. put himself into that song and you can hear the anguish and you can hear the, the, the anger, you know, and you hear the rising from Bruce and you hear the solemnness and you hear, you know, the love that he had for or has, I would say, for that city and and how hurt and broken he was when that happened. You know, it's there. And to be able to put that stuff out there and be that raw, that's just that's amazing. And, and there's artists that just, they just can't do that, you know, that don't um, reach out and touch things that way. You know, and I think that just like Neil, and I think just like, um, you know, some of the other artists, um, Petty and, you know, and Bruce, that they, they haven't lost their fastball. Um, they're no. still making significant music that means something. Um, and, um, I do think you're, I think you're totally online. I, I believe the rising is something very special and, and on nine eleven, I always listen to it. I pull it out right. and I listen to it kind of in, um, it's funny. I have seen him 15 times and the only song I've heard all 15 times is the rising. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh which tells you something. So yeah, that's that's amazing. Um very cool. Um well I would one the, Yes, go ahead. I, I know you wanna I know you wanna end this, but I wanna say one thing. Yeah. No, no, no. I love it. Because <laughs> I, I have this, this question that I when I worked in the record business and I would see musicians and I would get to hang out with them and you know and, and just sit around and talk. And I did this with, with so many that I can't even remember all the answers that I got. But one of the questions I used to ask, and this would be a question I would love to ask Bruce and, and Neil as well, is, okay, you've written and performed and recorded so much, so many different songs. Is there one song that you feel bad because you don't get to perform it because it's not something that the crowd wants to hear? You know, is it something, yeah. is there a song that you love that you, you know, you put your heart and soul into recording that song and writing it and recording it, but, you know, it, it wasn't a hit and now nobody wants to hear it and you don't get to play it anymore. You know, but I know that, that Bruce can play anything he wants. Right. But still, there's a, there's a certain amount of him that says, well, I got to play what the people want to hear, you know. You know, but, I mean, he's got such an extensive catalog. So. Yeah, and what's interesting is in his autobiography, he talks about that he really thought um, he thought Wrecking Ball was going to do better than it did. Um, he yeah. really, he was, you know, it's in, for those of you, most people know, but in, just in case you don't, Wrecking Ball was a lot about the financial crisis and uh and the bankers and things going on and there's a lot of political work about this going on and you know he mentioned in his autobiography that he even though it did go number one but it didn't sell as much and he right he wanted he he wanted he felt like he had something important to say and he wasn't sure if his audience wanted to hear it um you know it's interesting um that's a really good question to ask. And, um, you know, what is, you know, is there a song that you go, you know, I, I just, I wish, I wonder if this one had just caught on. I really was proud of this one and it just yeah. didn't, you know, I'm still proud of it, but the, they didn't, you know, it didn't they catch didn't get on. It. Yeah. That's, that's an yeah. interesting thought. I appreciate Yeah. That's, I, that'd be a good question to ask him. 
So cool. Yeah, if, if you ever get the chance. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'll throw that on the different <laughs> things and questions to ask. Scott, this is wonderful. I appreciate you so much taking time to visit with me. Um, if you want to hear more of Scott and I's talking, uh, we do the podcast, How Many, which is available on the Southgate Media um, Network. Uh, we've just recently talked about Tom Petty. We talked about NFL quarterbacks. Uh, we've got a Christmas special coming up. So looking <laughs> for that. Um, Scott Even is. Yes, we did. <laughs> We're, yeah, we did a nice kiss discussion. So uh, appreciate it. Um, if you want to be on the podcast and talk about your Springsteen journey or maybe another musician that you're passionate about, reach out to me at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. Uh, this show has a Twitter account at setlustingbruce. I can be found at Jesse Jackson DFW. Scott can be found at what's this thing called Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> what is that thing called? I'm yeah. not, what is my? I'm not even sure what my Twitter. I just got that Twitter account. I, oh, I didn't know <laughs> you really did get a Twitter account. I I literally just got this Twitter account. Yeah, I started okay. following you. Um, okay. What, what? I'm not even sure what my Twitter account's called to be honest. With okay. You. <laughs> Well, if you find it, email me and I'll add it in the show notes. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, keep tuned out. Um, Scott, thank you so much. I'm gonna, we're going to end with, I see you, Mary, in the garden, in the garden of a thousand sighs. There's holy pictures of our children dancing in a sky filled with light. May I feel your arms around me. May I feel your blood mixed with mine. A dream of life comes to me like a catfish dancing on the end of my line. Come on up for the rising. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, listeners. Wonderful. We'll talk to you soon. Poor dogs on Main Street howl because they understand why I could take this moment into my hands. Mr. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.